We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello, friends, and prepare yourself for a warm digital embrace. My name is Mike Cosentino. I am that pedestrian active sibling you never knew you had, and this is the Run ATL Podcast presented by Big Peach Running Company. No, I am so very thankful that you've allowed this broadcast an opportunity for a bit of breathing room from all the other audio files you could have just chosen. And you should also know that I am not alone in my utmost appreciation for you as my co-host and our executive producer is also here gushing about you. D2, welcome. And do we not have the best listeners on the planet? Yes, we do. I mean, we've been getting some great feedback, some great comments, and uh, even some questions submitted through Instagram. So every time we uh, you do a, a recording and you post a picture of who we are and what we're doing, we always get some nice comments, some feedback. So that's awesome. So if you're not following us, uh, do follow us on Instagram. It's just Big Peach Running Co. Awesome, D2, and I will tell you, it's a cosmopolitan group. They are using lots of different mediums to connect with us. We certainly appreciate that. And thinking about ways that you connect, at least with me, and I would imagine a wide audience, your plans this past weekend. I know it is not healthy to envy others. I get that. It's true. I envied your Saturday. Would you be kind enough to tell me once again to regale me yet one more time and share it with that cool group of listeners we have? Yeah, so Saturday was one of those days where it's like I, I, I actually did two races. The first one was a fun one. It was with the Atlanta Roller Girls. It was called Running of the Bulls. So it's kind of themed after the, the Running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain. And so the girls dress up and, you know, and put horns on their helmets and they kind of chase you and, you know, kind of lightly tap you with a wiffle ball bat. I saw some of the video. It is, it looks like a good time. It is. And it's a very uh, family friendly event as well. So it was, uh, you know, just a short distance, not time. So it was just kind of something fun to do uh, in the middle of the day. And he finishes off with some beer, you know, provided by Orpheus Brewing. Um, and you know, then my buddy and I, we just ended up going to the brewery and just kind of having a few beers and, you know, they had a food truck there. So we ended up having a corn dog, which I can't remember the last time I had a corn dog. So not your typical post-race or pre-race in my case for both. Yeah, both. Both. It Uh, was your post-race from race number one, beautiful setting right there coming out of Piedmont Park near the Beltline. But that wasn't enough for you because that was also your pre-race meal for your second event of the day. So the second event was a nighttime race uh, that started at 8 p.m. up at Red Top uh, Mountain. So it was the Dirty Spokes uh, nighttime race. And uh, I've been meaning to do a nighttime trail race. And finally, my schedule allowed me to to, uh, to be able to do one and, and sign up for it. So you know, after having a couple beers in the afternoon, I'm just like, well, let me just rehydrate. And I wasn't really hungry, so I just had maybe some some guac and, and, and chips, and then maybe a, a cliff bar. So once again, not what I would recommend anyone to do as far as a pre-race or you know uh, meal at all. So show up at the race, and I'm, I'm like, oh, well, it's just going to be kind of an easy run, uh, having come off of a, a, a bigger race the, the previous week. And, you know, I actually ended up feeling pretty good. And, and um, 
Yeah, I actually placed in my age group, second uh, in my age group, and uh, yeah, felt really good. And uh, so it was it was a great time, great race. Uh, so a nice day of racing uh, all day Saturday. Well, indeed it was. Congratulations to you. And although that might not have been whether you listened right before you headed out to that second race, our episode with Sarah Shanahan about the nutrition might have been a little bit of a deviation from that. You might have unknowingly set us up perfectly for this episode. You did multiple races on the same day. One of the questions that we get at Big Peach Running Company, maybe as many as what we might not be able to answer is how do I get started if I want to direct my own race or if I'm part of an organization that would love to have a running race as a fundraising activity, where do I start? How do I make it happen? What do I need to do to bring it to life? And quite frankly, that is not our area of expertise, but we know people that do just that. And in this case, they do multiple races on the same weekend like you did on a regular basis, but they're directing, they're managing, they're timing, they're setting the cones, they're making sure all the details have been facilitated. So this episode, we are going to peel the onion back a few layers, let everybody in on all the secrets associated with getting a race off the ground, what it takes to have a successful race. And for those who are racing on a regular basis, just get a peek at what goes on behind the scenes. This is super cool. We're featuring our friends from Orion Racing. Four of their core crew sat with us in studio and gave us a truly inside look. So don't go anywhere, D2. Listeners, don't you go anywhere either. We'll be right back. We'll talk about doing races, managing, and directing races right after this quick break. Fall may seem like it's a couple months away, but training for fall races starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across that finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Buy 10 or more individual packages and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Club and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Don't be foolish. Come into Big Peach Running Company and stock up so you're long run ready. Welcome back, everyone, to the Run ATL podcast and a rightly robust in-studio welcome to a few good friends of ours who comprise some of the super force that is Orion Racing. And as we said in our intro, today is the day. Today is the day we take the curtain down for everyone who knows what it's like to participate in a local race or running event but have never before today been behind the scenes. That changes today. And also I know from many conversations I get to have with running enthusiasts everywhere, there are many of you who have thought, and it's okay to admit this, you have thought it would be pretty darn cool to be a race director. And for the record, I have thought that too. You and I see the images of hundreds or perhaps thousands of persons at the start line. We feel the emotion of all those who cross the finish line. And yes, we get energized by the thought that you or me might actually someday pull the starter's pistol and of course put the police motorcycles in motion. We would get to control the intersections 
for racers as they pass by. We see the sirens flashing. The walkie-talkies are buzzing. The medics are ready. And yes, the spectators are cheering. It's a glamorous life indeed. And then there are others right now, I'm sure, who are wonderfully curious as to whether or not they could pull all of it together. Maybe for a cause they believe in so much. Maybe for a nonprofit that they already support. But either way, they do know that there's probably more work than what they could initially come to on their own. And we'll find out today, D2, that is very true. So for all of us who think, I know, I love to run, I love to do races. Who leads the glamorous life behind the scenes? It is this crew right here, Orion Racing. Welcome to you and thank you for joining us. Thank you. So here's who we have here. We'll see if we can get all these names right. First of all, Kirk Childs, founder of Orion Racing, and then part of his core crew, we have Kelly Bridges, we have Rachel Langelotti, and Jesse Zayasing, all with us this morning. So this is like a roundtable discussion. Kirk, I'm going to start with you, because for those of us who have thought, man, this would be pretty cool, you ultimately said, yes, that's true, and then put it into motion. So help us go to the onset of this journey that is now and continues to be Orion Racing. I will start by saying this is not something when I was growing up that I envisioned uh, this is what I want to do for a living. And uh, it, I actually kind of stumbled into it. I mean, I had a career doing computer software for a lot of years and this became uh, a passion of mine just accidentally because I was asked to direct a trail race, which I did. And you really? were very involved in running yourself and doing races. I remember yes. we had a good fortune of meeting even before I knew you in Orion Racing. So this was a lifestyle you led personally. Yes, I've always been active and okay. enjoyed running, especially trail running. So um, that led me into race directing, which I've realized that I enjoyed and loved. And then from that, it just grew into, we added race timing and it has just grown since then. That, I've been doing this about eight years. Orion has been in existence for five years. So it's five years, and I know some days it feels like it was five minutes yes. when you first started, and probably other times five decades, because there is so much that goes into this. And, and certainly as a fellow entrepreneur and, and local proprietor in the fitness-related industry, we have the utmost respect and, and appreciation for the work that all of you and the rest of your team do because we know it is it is not easy. I was joking, of course, by saying the glamorous life, and it is. I know I see smiles on y'all's faces on a very regular basis that you're having fun, but it is a lot of work. So let's kind of dive in and give people a little bit of an understanding of what it is that you do. So right now it's a weekday for us as we do this, and you've been kind enough to give us a little bit of your time. But if you weren't here, or if it's a different weekday and a different week, what is it that y'all are doing? How are you spending your time? And what is it, is, it, is it that you're working on? So most days, luckily, with our jobs, we do get to wake up and go for a trail run. So Excellent. that is that is definitely a perk. But I would say most of the day, um, I personally work on you know talking to new race directors. Um, they contact us, see what it takes you know to put on an event, and I walk them through you know every detail of it to see if. You know, they have the manpower to be able to do it. They have the backing if this is going to be financially beneficial for their charity and um, 
and then we work on you know meetings with them and work on the contracts um, part of it. So that's basically what I do throughout the week. Well, and Jesse, I think that's super cool. And we're going to get into some of the things for those of you who are like, well, gosh, I would need some consultation. You're oftentimes doing that. In addition, this is a business. You guys do great work. And again, even with smiles on your faces and knowing how much fun it is to see that last runner or walker come across the finish line, there is business development that needs to be done. And of course, you're doing that during the week. Rachel, how about you? Jesse was brave enough to go first. What did you say? All right, so um, I manage races. I work with race directors and helping uh, plan logistics, marketing, permitting, working with police, traffic control, uh, that sort of thing. So my day-to-day, like today after I leave here, will comprise of lots of emails communicating with race directors, working on some permits, uh, helping with some marketing through social media, um, and registrations, keeping up with numbers, and putting in some shirt orders. Well, so uh, that actually takes a lot of time. And then on race day, I'm there to help execute the plans. Well, I love the fact that you said it takes a lot of time. Because what I also believe to be true, especially having worked with you, mm-hmm. it also takes a lot of advanced planning. There are people out mm-hmm. there who I think unknowingly would think, oh, yeah, my race is going to be on this particular date. Right. And the Wednesday before, I'll walk into the police department and I'll say, oh, by the way, I'm going to need somebody to make sure there's not too much traffic at this intersection. And maybe a couple of weeks beforehand, they decide to build a Facebook page or start mm-hmm. forwarding things. It doesn't work that way. Right. Correct. For most races, how far out are you working on those very, very, very important details? For a first-year race, I like to work on it from 9 to 12 months out from race date. If this is an existing race, we can do that anywhere from like 7 to 9 months. But it's something I would not suggest putting on a month or two before you want the race. There's lots of um, work to do with the city and your municipality of where you're having it and working with police and making sure all that's set. And that takes time. It's not a drop off your application and it gets approved two weeks before, like you were saying. So a lot of that takes time. Well, and we joke somewhat internally that, that doing a race isn't like a wedding where you can elope and maybe have it turn out well. <laughs> you need to be right. that wedding that has lots yes. of advanced planning and you set a date relatively it's well exactly. into the future. Exactly. Yes, you a timeline of nine months is Beautiful. Okay, nine months. Excellent. Yeah. Kirk, I'm not going to maybe skip you entirely, but I'm going to go to Kelly. We'll just assume for a second that you just trail run and then <laughs> look at the bank deposits every once in a while, make sure there's enough to make payroll. But Kelly, give us a little bit of insight as to what it is that you're doing. Um, yes, I, uh, I'm i at the warehouse in the office all day long. Um, I am pulling our sheets for the week to see what races are coming up and planning the vehicles that are going out for our teams, unpacking all their vehicles, um, also doing data entry that's coming in, uh, going to the big beach stores, picking up the applications, um, and then most of the time I'm doing a pack of pickups during the week also. So. Well, and you said two things that I'm sure will catch some people who are thinking, oh, I'd like to do a race sometime. You said warehouse and vehicles, and they're probably thinking, why would you have a warehouse? It's not like you're a grocer, or why would you have vehicles? It's not like you're a transportation or trucking company. Give us a little bit of understanding of why you have to manage things like vehicles and be in a warehouse. Well, we have five timing teams. So we have all their equipment for every team that goes out. We have hundreds of cones we have to put in there for our coning teams. Um, We have two sprinter vehicles that we have to keep there. 
couple of trailers, and then we still have to rent vehicles for some of the races on the weekend for the bigger races. Um, basically, every piece of equipment we have in there is for all of our teams. Well, and for those of you who have been both to a race and perhaps to a post-race celebration, you see chairs, you see tables, you see coolers, you see cups, and all these things along the way, that is why the warehouse exists, and maybe even more importantly, the expertise that Kelly has has to exist and why a crew like this is so important and needs to have that consultative role if you're thinking about perhaps doing a race or taking a race that exists to the next level. All right, Kirk, I saved you for last. Is there anything left to do? What is it that you might do that's not already being done? Well, I'll surf the internet, watch them work primarily. Um, the, well, you know, I, I mentioned earlier I was a software engineer full-time before doing this, which was a good segue because we've developed our own software in-house and honestly we've put together our own hard, timing hardware as well. We didn't buy, you know, prepackaged. Which is a really unique thing. I know one of the things that impressed D2 and I and the rest of, of those of us on the leadership team at Big Peach Running Company was like, this is all proprietary. I mean, this is not just, oh, well, we'll get run-of-the-mill equipment or we'll use a software that everybody else is using. This is proprietary to Orion Racing. Correct. And it does give us the flexibility if a race director needs a specific report or wants you know, something done unique, we have the flexibility to provide that for them, which we might not be able to if we bought CAN software. Well, I will tell you, for those of you who maybe bought into his joke about surfing the internet or watching soap opera or whatever it might be, during the day, you are always tinkering with the engine. I know that even though you have put this software together that you've constructed hardware to use races, it's never good enough. And it's like, well, what's the next improvement that we can do for the sake of the runners and our clients who are putting races on? Yeah. All right, so we know what y'all are doing during the week, and it's, it's just something that never stops. It's truly a seven-day-a-week operation. Take us to race day. That's where all the excitement is for us as participants. What are you thinking? I'm going to start with you, Rachel, because okay. I know, and you, you alluded to it wonderfully so, that then you're overseeing the execution on race day. What does it feel like on race day, and what are you doing? It's exciting. It's a lot of... Um I won't say stress because it's not stressful, but there's a lot going on leading up to the um, gun going off for the start. So we will wake up 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. depending on the race and get to it. And for me, I'll oversee just to make sure logistics are getting in place. Registration is organized and opening and volunteers are showing up. Um, we are ensure the course is getting set. We're ensuring that police are set. Uh, porta potties that's another glamorous part of the job <laughs> but those are those will be set and ready somebody has to clip the zip ties <laughs> on the porta potties so um so that's the first just getting those pieces of the ball rolling um and then people will start coming for registration we're troubleshooting we're making sure all that's um, getting any issues being resolved and people getting registered their bids um, and then getting ready to have everything you know the 15 minutes leading up to the race that we're good to go and so the excitement that is exciting because there's that um, like excited nervousness about it amongst runners race directors and myself it's just kind of an exciting time the gun goes off they take off running 
it's a relief for the race director, it's a relief for me, but it's so exciting to see a mass group of people just run down the street. It's like taking the street over and they're running, they're out there in a great mood. When they finish, honestly, that's what got me into this is knowing um, as a runner myself, when you cross that finish line, whether it's your first race or your hundredth race, there is a sense of accomplishment and that can translate over to your life and and help you uh, feel like you can accomplish other things in life. But that's what got me into it. So seeing people cross that finish line is exciting. It's um, I love cheering people on when I'm not having to be scrambled somewhere else. Um, and then again, at the back of the pack finishing, you know they work so hard to get there. It's just, um, just ex I'm excited for all those people who really accomplished something that day. Very, very gratifying for sure. And, and one of the things, in fact, Orion Racing does Big Peach Sizzler that was earlier this year. And we were at the start line before anything, or at the finish line actually, before anything was going on. Mm -hmm. And here's the cautionary tale for some of you who are thinking, gosh, this would be really, really cool. I'd like to be just like Rachel. Your weekends are not your own. And if you really <laughs> cherish your sleep, especially on weekends, did you hear her say <laughs> 2 to 4 a.m. is when she wakes up? But I said to her, I said, what time did you get up? And she gave me that same answer. So now that I've heard it a couple of times, yeah. I believe it to be true. Like everything that comes out of her mouth. But I said, well, how do you sleep? And she's like, hardly at all. Because can you imagine yeah. for our clients if we oversleep? Right. There's it's no oversleeping. Yeah. It's one thing to be late for a 9 a.m. meeting. Mm -hmm. But when everybody is at the start line counting on you, and you got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I would imagine even if you go to bed at 8 in the evening, mm -hmm. it is tough to sleep with both eyes closed and a peace of mind. That is funny you say that because I do wake up probably every 30 minutes to an hour hoping I didn't oversleep. But that yes, if, you, if, if I oversleep or anybody on our team oversleeps, you miss the race. So, uh, so yeah, that's it's it's important, but yeah, so I don't get any sleep the night before. So ever. we don't do this very often, but for those of you who love your sleep on weekends, you might as well go to a different episode of the <laughs> podcast because this is not yeah. for you. Anything else that any of the rest of y'all might add to what Rachel indicated about race day itself? Well, I can uh, touch on a little bit the timing aspect of it because she manages them and, and I time them. Like Kelly mentioned, we have five teams, so we have five timers. But So I've timed lots and lots of races with us doing about 120 races a year. She said it's not stressful. From my standpoint, <laughs> it is stressful because it's, it's like a wedding photographer. There's no do-over. You know, either I capture their times or I don't. If I don't capture their times, I have hundreds or thousands of angry runners, and I hear about it. So um, I, everything has to fall into place. Everything has to work. And there's a short time frame there to get it ready and, and make sure everything's working properly. Well, and, and some of you perhaps can think of your favorite race that comes about on the calendar each year or one race that you would like to do or be involved with on the back end, but 120 races a year. I believe there are still only 52 weekends each year. <laughs> and I believe still, and not just in the Atlanta area, but everywhere, a vast majority of races take place on a Saturday or Sunday. So you have many weekends where you have multiple race days going on on the same weekend and perhaps at the same time. Mm -hmm. yes. How do you manage that? I mean, we have a weekend coming up, October and April, obviously the busiest race 
months of the year. So, I mean, one of the event rate, uh, weekends we have coming up here soon, we have five in the morning, one in the evening on a Saturday, and then five we, races in the yes. morning, not five a.m. Correct. We have five, five races, races in the morning. In the morning, one in that that evening, and then one Sunday morning. And actually, we have one Friday. So we have seven, seven, seven events that in one weekend. weekend. Yes. So yes, that's why it takes five teams. Five teams <laughs> and seven days a week. To seven get days a week and twenty team members who are very passionate and dedicated. And I was going to say it wasn't for our team members. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. They're phenomenal. <laughs> so let's go to that person who's like, I don't want to be involved to that scale. And we don't blame them, right? Not everybody is cut out for what y'all do and do so well. But there are people who do want to get involved to some degree. It might be, a, again, a cause that they believe in or a nonprofit that would like to add some contribution to the great work that they're doing and they just need more money to do so. And they believe, gosh, a race could be the right way to do that. I think we all know that's not always the case. So now someone, and maybe they're talking to you, Jesse, and they've got that question, well, where do I start or is this a good idea? Let's take that call publicly. We get calls on a regular basis and we just quietly refer them to you. <laughs> so now let's assume that that's what's happened, but we're gonna talk about it publicly and we're answering, is it a good idea? Where should they begin? Well, like Rachel said, I always say to them, because a lot of people do come to me and wanna say, you know, two months, I wanna put on an event in two months. As Rachel said, you need to give yourself a year, especially with the first, you know, year event. Um, and my next question is, what is the goal here? Is your goal just to raise awareness for what you're doing, or is it to raise money for what you're doing? Because on your first year, you may not raise the money that you want. And is it possible they could actually lose money? For a first year yes. event, they could. So for the first year, I always say your I think that your objective should be to raise awareness and to put on a quality event so that years following you can start to raise that money that you need for wherever it may be going. So it's like a legitimate business venture where you mm -hmm. have to be willing to invest the time yes. and the money and not necessarily see an immediate return Absolutely. on investment. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I think that's a huge call out. And thinking about a couple of things that you said, awareness, terrific, but that doesn't equate or is not synonymous with money. In addition, so you can set yourself up for success in year two or the years mm -hmm. that follow, if you're not willing to be involved for the long haul, there may not be a reason to absolutely. have that first year event. Yes, absolutely. Anything else, anybody else would say to that, that, yes. that real newbie and that person who <laughs> rightly and perhaps proudly wears the rookie race director status? To add to that, the the average, <clears throat> you know, people will come to us and say, we're going to have a thousand runners and we're going to raise $20,000 the first year. That's extremely unlikely scenario. The average first year race is lucky to bring 200 runners and lucky to break even. So th that's the harsh reality. So let that sit in. <laughs> if we were not running the clock, we would just take a moment of silence to let that sink in with all of our listeners. But you can go back and listen to that again because he did say, indeed, 200 runners and is a possibility to actually lose money. So what are some of the pitfalls beyond losing money? What are just some of the pitfalls that people may make when they elect to go forward? They're like, you know what, we could lose money and we're okay with that. We may not have as many runners as we thought and that'll be fine. But what are some of the pitfalls that they might make even with taking 
that risk? The amount of time that it takes. Oh, I don't that's know that that's really something people think of because if you're going down a check sheet, it looks pretty simple to check off, but it, all of those items on your timeline of what needs to be done take time. Um, so I would say the time, having the time to do it, think of it as it's going to be a mini, you know, a second job. Yeah. And mm -hmm. That is because I, and <laughs> yes. we've been close enough in, in D2, you and I know this, that if you really want to, and let's just call it what it is, compensate Orion Racing to do everything, you can kind of do a race in a box, right? It's like, here's what I want, go put it together, and y'all have the expertise and obviously the resources to do it. But if you really want not just awareness, but to have a viable financial picture, whether it's in year one or year 15, you can't just say, Orion, do it all. Mm -hmm. right. You've eventually got to find volunteers or committed individuals who are going to do a lot of that work themselves. And you just said, Rachel, it's kind of like having a second job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it takes a team of volunteers to put it on, even in spite of how, if you hired us to do a lot of the work, you're still going to have to come up with a team of volunteers. And you'll, you may have a bunch of interested people in the beginning saying they're going to help you, but come race day, a lot of those folks are not going to show up. When they have to wake up at 4 a.m. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. right. And even if they said right up until the evening before I'll be there, they don't have the same seriousness mm -hmm. with their alarm clock that obviously all of you do. Mm -hmm. All right, so those are great pitfalls we think about, well, goodness, the amount of time and then the amount of volunteers and just, you know, kind of people mm -hmm. who are in it to win it together but maybe aren't as committed as you are. You can't do it by yourself and you can't do it by taking shortcuts. All right, so instead of just talking about pitfalls, let's go to other things that people might not know. I might call them non-negotiables. When designing a course, or when determining a distance, or when selecting a venue. What are some of the things that people just need to have in place if they're ever going to be likely to put the race together in a manner where a gun will eventually go off and runners will cross the start line? Everybody's looking at each other. Who wants it? Rachel. Rachel, you have I mean, been to answer that question. The, I mean, the first thing is um, definitely to have an idea of the venue or an area that you want to have the race. What makes sense? Are you in a community where you want this to be a community event? Um, or are you thinking you want to be the to be an event where it's bringing in people from all over? So maybe you need to go to a more central area like downtown Atlanta to bring people from different areas. And so are most communities really amenable to having an event? I mean, obviously, most of these it, are early in the morning or going to require some road closures or some kind of perhaps inconvenience for mm -hmm. nearby residents or businesses. So are most communities kind of looking forward to these types of events? It maybe? depends on the community maybe. because some of the communities are already overwhelmed okay. with events. Um, so but if, it's a if you are an organization or an individual trying to do something that's in that community, then I then you have a better chance of that community supporting your event. Okay. Well, and I think that's one of those mm -hmm. non-negotiables to call out. Just because mm -hmm. you pictured the ideal community for it, are they right. overwhelmed or are they supportive? And if mm -hmm. they're overwhelmed and can't add another, you're in a bad spot because that non-negotiable is a barrier that's tough mm -hmm. to get around. Yep. Or if it's just not a supportive community of doing this, you can't just kind of run ramrod right through correct. And, and say we're doing it anyway. Correct. So the community itself, but then also the municipality, the city that you're dealing with. So they have to be open to having an event in their city. 
Okay, what else? What else is maybe, again, what I'm just referring to as a non-negotiable that you have to have in your back pocket if you're ever going to get this money. thing off the ground? Money. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about that. You do have to have money because uh, you, whether you're an individual organization, um, the if you don't get the runners that you anticipated or the sponsorship dollars you anticipated, you are still going to owe for shirts. You are still going to owe money for timing. So you need to have... Um, be aware that you're going to need some money whether you make it or not and be willing to lose money in the process of hopefully gaining or fundraising money. Whether or not somebody actually uses the portable toilet, you pay for it. You pay right? for it, right. Once it's there, it doesn't <laughs> matter whether there's anything right. that actually went in the bowl. Right. So let's talk real money. You guys, mm -hmm. let's say that 200 person event or that person who thinks they're going to get 500 or 1,000. What should they think about having if they're doing it in and around the Atlanta MSA? And I recognize Centennial Olympic Park may be very much different right. than you know maybe doing it in downtown Norcross. But roughly, what would you say is going to be in the bank for someone to confidently go ahead and say, yep, we're going for it? That's probably one of the number one questions I'm asked. How much is it going to cost? Let's answer it right here. That's why we're the number one <laughs> podcast for running in and around Atlanta. And just like you said, there's so many different factors that okay. go into that. You know, your, your venue can cost anywhere from $0 to $3,000. Your police can cost anywhere from nothing because you have it just on private property where you don't have to have it, all the way up to if you're putting on a half marathon in Atlanta, tens of thousands of dollars um, and there's just so many different things that go into it um, we do kind of have a guideline that we send to people that just say you know typical shirt cost cost X amount of dollars you know based on a 200 person event but to answer how much does it cost to put on an event there's there is no good answer but it's that. not insignificant right in all likelihood so don't think you're gonna have the registration revenue come rolling in before any right. of your expenses do or that there's just this mm -hmm. guarantee that that revenue that does come rolling in is going to outpace what your mm -hmm. expenses are. And one of the biggest things that people need to work on while putting on an event is to also, yes, you need a race director doing part of, you know, the, the permitting and getting the venue and all that, but it's almost like you need a separate team doing sponsorships. That is just as important as everything else because if you don't have those sponsorship dollars, that kind of helps offset everything else for a first year event. So let's talk about sponsorship, and this is where Big Peach Running Company can, you know, maybe add a little bit of, of context. And similar to what you said earlier, Kirk, about people come and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to get a thousand people and it's just immediately going to be a success. We hear that all the time. It's like, hey, can Big Peach Running Company write us a sponsorship check? We're going to put your logo on the back of the t-shirt, which isn't something that we would say, well, oh my goodness, what an amazing sponsorship benefit that is. And even though it's a first year race, we're going to have a thousand people and you're really going to want to be involved. Go ahead and send the check here. And we're very quick to say, well, we, that's not really the way it works for us and for a majority of those who might be involved in a local race. It used to be that if you could do sponsorship, that would pay for the race expenses and then the registration revenue what, is what would be available for that nonprofit or for whomever it was that might put it in his or her back pocket. I think sponsorship is much more difficult today than what it was it, 10 or 15 years ago to get. Okay, it yes, is. So absolutely, yes. So what is a, a good you know, breakdown of a lot of races in terms of the percent of revenue that comes from registration and the percent of revenue that comes from sponsorship or partnership fees? It, and again, it varies okay. completely. If you've got someone that's really good at, at finding sponsors and convincing them to 
to pony up, you can, you can make a, a profit your first year. But if you have zero sponsors, your, your runner fees are probably not going to cover the cost of the race the first year. And the, the races that make a lot of money from sponsorship are typically races that have been established for 10, 20, 30 years. New races, it's, the sponsor dollars have pretty much dried up. It's really difficult to get new sponsors. So I think that's a sobriety check that, that needs to be stated. And it doesn't mean that you don't have someone in your organization or in your circle who could do it. But it goes back to what you said, Rachel, about this is like a second job. Mm -hmm. That's something that Orion Racing can't necessarily do, and that is manage the sponsorship plan for a local race. Somebody else has to go out and do that. And again, I'm going to speak very personally. The biggest challenge that I think we've seen over the last decade is not only is sponsorship harder to get, it's also one of those things where people don't think about anything besides just getting you to sign and send in the remittance. And those races that are successful, Kirk, in getting sponsors, they're doing more than just saying, we're going to put your logo on the back of the race. Yes, yes. For Big Beach Running Company, I'll give all of our listeners an example. Someone who comes in and says, we're going to have a packet pickup at a couple of your stores. We're going to have a team of fundraisers that are going to be part of the race. And oh, by the way, they're all going to meet in front of a location on a Saturday morning, and then they might do some shopping. It actually helps our business connect with the participants. It's not just, you got us convinced it's a cool event and now you're asking us for money, and then there's no real partnership maintenance. It was just about getting the agreement. If sponsorship or partnership revenue is down, where are the other areas where some revenue can come for the race beyond just $35 for the 5K or $75 for the half marathon? I, Kelly, I, I look at you, you got, you got an entire warehouse of things. What is it that's in there? Because, and the reason I say that is I know now that you guys do tables, and now all of a sudden you've got booths at the end where people can connect with these participants. Or you've got things that they might do where it's like, yes, we're going to have you know certain sales on site, but they're going to manage that. We're just going to help them set up. What are some of the creative things that you're seeing people do to augment what they get in registration revenue? I'm not really sure. They, they handle that end of it. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrific question. There's basically two sources of revenue for a yeah. race. Runner registration fees and sponsor dollars. That's okay. well, and If you're in, in nonprofits, I have uh, seen if they add a component of fundraising, to their okay, to yeah. their event, yeah. okay. um, fundraising, uh, that's another avenue of revenue. Okay. Well, and one of the things that I'll say in terms of, well, who's successful getting that registration revenue because it's becoming increasingly important to have that. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of other options. Sponsorship is down for many, many races mm -hmm. or the prospect of getting it is harder and harder than what it's ever been. If you've got a great base that will support you, one of the events that's mm -hmm. been around for over 10 years now that I always cite as, as one of the best in community sport support and D2, you've been involved personally for a long time, and that is the Brookhaven Bolt. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that that's so successful is I think they practically tell the parents of every child at Ashford Park Elementary, you are going to come out and race on race day, or we're going to pull a science program. And I know that's <laughs> not what actually happens. And that I see a lot of churches that are successful because they're willing to do it from the pulpit. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like every Sunday morning you hear that you should do this race on this particular weekend. And they've got a larger community to speak to as opposed mm -hmm. to someone that's like, gosh, we're so inspired by this person in our neighborhood. But they're kind of talking to seven or nine houses. And even if everybody and every family comes out, it's still only 40 people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's just not the same as a congregation or an entire school's community. Right. You need an existing base, I feel like, to pull from, to market to. 
Okay. Um, not just a base of volunteers, but um, if you're a nonprofit organization, you've got a database that you can send these e-blasts to. If you're an individual, um, you need to connect with the organization you want to partner with not just be able to write them a check, but partner with them in order to get that existing base of support to draw from. So that's that's great guidance as well. And that is, you know, do you have a base and can you work that base to truly support mm -hmm. your event? Okay, all of you are very clairvoyant, I know that. And you brought your crystal ball with you, which is <laughs> awesome, thank you. I'm glad we have enough room to accommodate that here. What does the future of racing look like? We've been around long enough to see that, gosh, 5Ks just exploded. I mean, it went for even a place the size of Atlanta, a couple of events here and there every month to what now almost seems like another half dozen every weekend in that 5K distance in and around the local neighborhoods and communities, to use that term. Half marathon exploded for a while and longer distances became increasingly popular. Women got into this sport wonderfully and robustly for a long time that drove a lot of the participation growth in and around the sport. What I refer to as novelty races that were, you know, things that were glowing and people that were throwing color at you or whatever else it might have been in the mud, that contributed to growth for a while and continues to help keep this very healthy. But what does the future look like? Knowing all that is part of the past and perhaps to some degree still part of the present. What do you see in the future, whether you're wanting to put on a race or for D2 and I and everybody who's listening, just keep continue to plan on doing races. I personally think it looks great because one of the things that I have to discuss with race directors is um, getting the teams ready. I have to know what their age bracket breakdown is for their award ceremony. Okay. And for a while there, it was very you know, standard. It started, you know, zero to 20 and then went up every five to 10 years and then did 60 plus. Now I feel that we have added younger age brackets and now we have had to add older age brackets. Gosh, I love hearing that. Uh -huh. Yes. So I feel like the age gap is, you know, we have a lot more younger children getting involved. And I mean, we see kids out all the time doing 5k events we have kids doing half marathons you know and then we have the older group that are still out there doing it so i feel like you know we have more people coming out to i mean i see 15 year olds winning the race yes i mean it's crazy that's awesome having that younger generation mm -hmm. that realizes this is a great way to spend a saturday morning and then of course when we hear about well, what the population of boomers is and, and all those who are older but taking their fitness more seriously and this is still something mm -hmm. that they enjoy and you now need to have a 75 yes. plus yeah, or a 75 yeah. to 79 age group mm -hmm. and it's not just one person in that age group it's, it's competitive yeah it's, it's competitive, competitive. Yeah, exactly. you can't just live long enough to right. win your age group you actually <laughs> got to go out there right. and finish and right. do well so what else that's terrific what else in the future might maybe look like I have thought for several years that the what I call theme races, you call novelty races, the, the mud runs, the mm -hmm. color runs, the squirt gun runs, all that, I thought that those were going to die out. I thought that was going to be a trend and they were going to die out. And I, keep, I kept thinking, good, I can't wait till they're all gone and we get back to traditional, you know, running for the sake of You're running and winning. Right. Yeah. It, I've been wrong every year. It, it hasn't happened. 
um, they they seem to be growing rather than going away. So it seems to be just the themes that are changing. Mm -hmm. It's the but, themes yeah. that are changing. Well, they have to come up with something so new. Cooler, but yeah. yeah, it's those theme races are still doing well, and new ones are coming out, and and that's what runners, a lot of them, especially newer runners, are looking for, mm -hmm. is those theme races. It actually gets people out there. And, and I, I think one reason why is because, you, like you were saying, that there's more women doing it. Women like to go out with their girlfriends, yeah. find something to do for yeah. the weekend. So they, you know, they get their girls together and they all go out and want to do these themed races and, you know, have dress up, dress up or, you well, know. Well, that in the younger group, like I said, mm -hmm. the young kids are coming in. They like fun, challenging things. So, you know, you get like the Spartan. Kids like to go out and do that crazy stuff. Well, okay. Older teens. <laughs> well, it's not that there isn't that person who wants to do sub 16 in a 5K, right. but not worrying about what the clock says mm -hmm. as much as that person does and be able to squirt a few people with a water gun along the way and then have a glass of wine with your girlfriends <laughs> right. at the end. That's part mm -hmm. of that experience that you guys continue to do. And for everyone who didn't catch this, this is an important highlight of this conversation. Kirk is not in the 29 and under group yet, and he just admitted he was wrong. The one time in his entire life that he was wrong, he admitted right here on this podcast, we brought it to you first. Anything else that... I, I see that um, not just in the Atlanta area, but um, outside of Atlanta, is destination races are what's really... Mm. You see more and more of those all across the country. Um, so if anybody's looking to put on a race in the Atlanta area or North Georgia mountains or wherever you are, you would, you know, that's something to think about. I mean, of course it wouldn't be just your local community event for that, but um, I just see a lot of people really traveling and in um, these destination races coming up. So Atlanta is a great place for a destination. The Georgia mountains, Savannah, you know, there's lots of places in Georgia that could draw people, but um, there's a lot more of them than there used to be. Well, I think that's good advice for somebody who thinks of a great venue. It's not being used in this capacity and they have a connection mm -hmm. or a belief that they could use that venue mm -hmm. for a race. It gives them a unique way to perhaps Absolutely. position their particular event. Okay, so I'm going to let you all off the hook here very soon, but not before asking a little bit of a personal question. I want all y'all to take a crack at this, all right? So you're athletes just like the rest of us. You're not just race directors and those who are managing and timing events. How do you go to an event and can you actually turn it off? Or when you show up at the start line and it's not your event or you're not necessarily responsible for the outcome and making sure that each result is captured, can you just go out there and do it the way D2 and I might? Or are you busy assessing what, time, what kind of timing equipment are they using? How many safety officials do they have on the course? How does it work for you all just as athletes and participants? It's been a really long time since I've been able to go out and run a race. <laughs> all right, so it's <laughs> But when I have, um, yes, I do catch myself looking around going, okay, they've done this, but they don't have enough porta potties. They know, and so I pay attention to that stuff. But then my competitiveness kicks in, and then I forget it all, and then I, okay. then I get out there and I actually run the race. So. Okay, so once the starters go, yes. goes off, you are then looking I'm at the same way Dean yep. and I'm like, okay. Kirk, how about you? 
Um, pretty much the same thing, but yes, I'm, she may not look at the timing equipment, but yes, I, I'm going to look at the timing <laughs> equipment and the way they've got it set up and so forth. And so I have got to do the comparisons to the way we do it, of course. And then when you get to the finish, do you go over and make suggestions you'd like to <laughs> or do you just keep your mouth shut and keep, you know, I may go ask a question or two and act, you know, like I'm not somebody that actually does it for a living, but um, it's hard to turn it off. I, I don't turn it off even in my sleep, so it's, I never get to turn it off. I'm, like you mentioned earlier, I'm always trying to figure out a way to tweak it and make it better and add bells and whistles, so yeah. When we love what we do, I think it is one of those things where it's okay to have it on and on and on. Rachel. What about you? I completely turn it off. Yeah? <laughs> no, I mean, I honestly, I'm down to one or two races a year right now. Um, but when I have, I mean, I will notice things, but I'm there to enjoy myself and be a part of whatever event that I'm at. So I want to just enjoy it and not really think about it too much. Enjoy of course, it was something, yeah, yeah. Subjective, too much. Who knows what that means, but yeah. not too much. And how about you, Jesse? Well, I'm one of the lucky ones that actually doesn't have to work all that much <laughs> on the weekends. <laughs> so I normally get to go out and run with my eight-year-old. Um, awesome. We go do events. But I'm normally running only at Ryan Racing events. So they're always perfect. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to the of Orion Racing. So they are Kelly and Kurt, Rachel, and Jesse Orion Racing, thank you very much, not just for everything that you do every single weekend, sometimes multiple times each weekend, but for your friendship to Dave and to me, certainly to Big Peach Running Company, and perhaps everyone who has had the good fortune of working with you would say the same, that your friendship and your genuine interest in them is so very much appreciated. You can learn more about who they are and what they do at orionsportstiming.com. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick break, D2. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for being part of the Run ATL podcast. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Njinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles? It doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. Welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. D2 and I were talking during the break, and we don't oftentimes say this, but D2, I will tell you what we just did, that conversation that we had with Orion Racing. I know a lot of people will listen to once, and rightfully so, they'll only need to listen to it once, but then there are others that immediately have someone that they should share this episode with. Immediately, they're part of an organization they care a lot about, and they either have a race already or might benefit from considering one, or it'll be down the road that they now know this episode exists, that someone will say to them, my goodness, it would be really cool to do a race, but I don't know where to start. And I just hope, D2, that this will be the first thing that people share because there was information that Kirk and his team shared with us publicly now that, quite frankly, you would have to pay for 
or might be really, really difficult to track down? Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's one of those things where you show up in a race and as a participant, you don't really know everything that goes into it. You're just like, well, I sign up, I register, and I show up as a participant. I run my race and I cross the finish line and I'm done, not realizing that there's a lot of work, not only that happens, you know, hours before you even show up on race day, but, you know, even days or weeks, months in some instances, as far as the preparation and planning, as far as permits. So that's all great information that I... Uh, you know, someone at one point said, would you ever be interested in getting in race directing? After listening to this, like, no, thank you. Like, that's <laughs> way too much work. Much credit to Orion because this is something obviously they love to do because you have to love, you know, what you're doing in order to put on great races like they do. It is very detail intensive. There are plenty of people out there who would just relish that opportunity and now they know where to start or perhaps what to do next. But as a cornerstone of the Run ATL podcast, we are always sharing information. We're not done. That's not all that we're sharing this episode, D2. I believe you have a podcast payout for us. Yeah, so this uh, question comes from uh, Lois Roberts. And Lois, we will be contacting you and you will be receiving uh, a Run ATL uh, shirt of your choice. Um, So Lois' question is, as a runner who is always pressed for time, full-time job and full-time mom, what are the important pre- and post-run activities? Drills, stretching, ice baths, etc. I find myself with small windows of time to run and like to spend most of that time actually running. How can I only spend a few minutes with these rituals and get the most out of that time? So, Lois, when we saw this question come in, I have to say I was so eager. I told D2, I want this one. And it's not because I went out and did a ton of research. It's entirely because I can relate so much to what you're indicating here and to the lifestyle that you lead. So I'm going to give you a few tactical things that have helped me because I'm the same way you are. And like many, many of our listeners I know are, and that is they are up to their eyeballs with activities. They love to run and they have to treat every minute of their day as the precious time that it is. So here's the thing. My belief is what is most helpful is weaving these other non-running considerations into the other parts of your day. So let's look at stretching first. And that for me is one of those things that I do my stretching, maybe when I'm standing in line at Starbucks. Maybe it's when I'm near a curb waiting on a friend for lunch. Does it look a little silly with me standing on one leg trying to strengthen my ankle while I wait for my pike roast to get ordered and ultimately to show back up on the counter? It might, but guess what? I'm not going to set time aside to do those ankle strengthening routines outside of when it's part of something else in my day. When I am coaching one of my kids' activities, I take the workout routine they're doing before the activity very, very seriously because that may be the only stretching I do all week. In addition, I'm now using a stand-up desk out of my home office. Am I doing it all the time? No, but I also know from what we've heard, what we've been reading, what we've seen now studied and published, that sitting too often not only makes us tight, but makes us more prone to injury. So by being able to incorporate more standing up in my work routine. I believe it sets me apart from the possibility of injury a little bit more. And then the last thing that I would say to you is this, as you are thinking about nutrition or as you are thinking about time management, making good dietary choices and ensuring that you've preserved that time on your calendar for your running is first and foremost, because if you're eating well, you are going to stay true to your fitness routine and vice versa. And if it is a 
benchmark on your calendar that you will get your runs in for a certain amount of time on a certain number of days each week. It will not be compromised, so schedule it first. What an awesome question from Lois D2. Like you said, she gets a run ATLT now. Perfect timing. The new long sleeves are in all of our stores. Some really, really cool colors. You've got them online, of course, so people can see them. We'll let Lewis tell us her size and choose her favorite color. For those of you who would also like to join Lois in the winning, it's podcast at BigPeachRunningCo.com. D2, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Run ATL podcast. But if I am correct, I believe we'll be back in just two weeks. That is true, he nods, and we will see you then. In the meantime, may your best miles be those covered on foot.